So we're going to manage some pain this morning. And we talked about what, what, what guilt is. Guilt always says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Jealousy says, God owes me. And we talked about greed. Greed always says, I owe myself. Fear always says, God, can I trust you? Fear, at its core, always asks the question, God, can I trust you? Let me tell you the difficulty with that question. The wrestling in our hearts and minds is rarely about God's ability. Most of us don't struggle with the fact that God can do anything. Our struggle is often with whether God will do it for me. Because most of us come to the throne of God feeling unworthy. I don't deserve this. We know how we are behind the scenes. And we think that what God does for us is performance-based. That if I do good, I can expect good. But if I don't do good, I can't expect good. And we've bought into this lie called karma. And we think that our God is a God of karma. And we think we can please God by our performance. So fear sets in because we know, man, I fell short there. So God ain't going to show up for me. Well, I fell short there. So God ain't going to show up for me. So God, can I really trust you to turn my situation and circumstances around? Because the truth is I'm an imperfect person trying to serve a perfect God. And God, can I trust you with this? The reason, again, fear has to be confronted with the love of God. Settle that once and for all. God loves me. And he is not only a God who is able to do it. He is a God who is willing to do it. And he's not only a God who is able to do it, speaking of his power. He is a God who is willing to do it, speaking of his disposition. But thirdly, he is a God who is able and willing to do it for me. I know you're going to do it for everybody else. But God, you will do it for me. For me. And for everything that matters to me, for everything that concerns me, for everything and everyone who worries me, you will do it because you love me. The Lord is helping some people with fear this morning. Mm -hmm. Our anchor text is 2 Timothy chapter number one. I will begin reading at verse number seven. Uh, before I went the bivocational route, one of my deepest pleasures was driving near to school or walking near and Levi to school. And those were the moments that we used to learn the word of God and learn scripture. And so every week, Levi would have a memory verse and then Nia would have a memory verse. And on the drive to school, we talked about God. Deuteronomy chapter six talks about the word of God 
and parents instructing their children in the word of God. He said, when you rise up and when you sit down, when you go to bed and when you rise up, teach your children, Deuteronomy chapter six, and we have outsourced our children's spiritual development to other people, namely children's church. When you and I as parents are supposed to be the primary faith trainers, we outsource everything. Our children's education, our children's discipline, we, 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 we take our kids and we drop them off for hours with a coach. And they come home and we ain't got nothing to say to them. Imparting nothing of eternal value into them. We have outsourced everything. Our kids spend eight days with teachers who may or may, teachers who may, or may not be godly. And they come home and all we do is turn on the television. And we impart nothing to them. We give them everything they want. Every toy, every hot clothing item. Don't give them Jesus though. And it is the one thing, it is the one thing that will be their guiding principle in life. You guys have heard us talk about this before. I'll get to my message. But the primary responsibility of parenting is not, is not, to, 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 uh, uh, is not compliance. And that's what we've made parenting about. Well, you do it because I said so. You don't pay no bills around here. And what we do in our parenting is compliance. You do it because I said so. And yes, there's, there's a place for that. There is a place for that where children are supposed to be obedient to their parents and honor them. But the ultimate goal of parenting is not compliance. The ultimate goal of parenting is character development. That's why a whole bunch of kids leave mommy and daddy's house and go buck wild. Because mama ain't there to tell you what to do. Daddy ain't there to tell you what to do. And they grow up in our houses, our homes for 18 years and we never develop character in them so that whether we're looking over their shoulder or not, they will still do the right thing. It's called character development. And so I walk near and leave out of school and teach them scripture. Not for them to memorize the word of God. Not just for them to commit it to memory. But for them to recognize these are the principles that guide your life. And so one of Nia's favorite scriptures. In fact, her fifth grade yearbook. Uh, she said, Daddy, I want you to pay extra. And I want you to put a message in there. And I also want you to put my favorite scripture in there, which we're about to read. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Paul is speaking to his protege. He's speaking to his mentee, Timothy. It's a young man that he had taken under his wing during his first missionary journey. Now he has sent him to Ephesus to plant a burgeoning church. It is a cultural uh, epicenter for that region. Paul was always strategic in where he planted churches. And he planted churches in Rome, which was the political center. He planted a church here in Ephesus, which was a cultural center. He planted churches in Corinth, which, uh, which was the uh, commercial center of that, of that region. And here is a young pastor in the midst of this cultural center of this part of the world. And he's dealing 
He's grappling with fear. He's grappling with fear and uncertainty and insecurity. And his mentor, his spiritual father, writes him this letter from a prison in Rome. This is the second time Paul is in prison, but this time it's a little bit different because Paul is a whole lot older than he was the first time he was in prison. This time, Paul is thinking about who he's going to pass the baton to. He's wondering who can continue the legacy of apostleship that he had been entrusted. He's thinking about the stewardship of the gospel. And he's saying, Timothy, I need you to come to me. But he says, just in case I expire, just in case I die before you get to me, I'm going to send you this letter. Because these are my final instructions to you, because now you are being entrusted with the stewardship of the gospel. But there's a problem with Timothy. Timothy has this issue called fear. And it's a freaky thing to know that you're trying to pass the baton to somebody who's got fear issues. It's like, man. How can, I, how can I die in peace? Knowing that I'm trying to give this work to somebody who's got fear issues. Issues with timidity. But notice where he starts. He starts in verse 5. He says, when I call to, remember the, to remembrance the, great, the genuine faith that is in you. Hold up. I thought Timothy had fear issues. We're going to get to that here in a second. He says, Timothy, I see something in you that you may not see in yourself. He says, I see the genuine faith that is in you, but notice where it came from. It says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and it's also in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is also in you. Notice, Timothy's faith was generational. It wasn't just genuine, but it was also generational. His grandmother had that faith, his mama had that faith, and now she passed it on to her son, Timothy. In fact, when I looked up the word faith that's used in this passage, it's the same word, pistis, that's used in Hebrews chapter 11. I wanted to make sure that when I read this, I was reading exactly what the writer said. Timothy had faith, but struggled with fear. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Because if we're honest with ourselves this morning, there are moments and seasons in our life when fear is juxtaposed side by side with our faith. There was a man who brought his son to Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Are y'all with me? And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. He said, I know you're struggling with fear right now. I know you're struggling with uncertainty, but you got something in you that you inherited, not just from your grandmama, but it was also in your mama, and she passed it on to you. Therefore, notice what he said. He said, I'm going to remind you about some stuff. How many of you realize that sometimes we forget? that life can so press against you that you can forget what you knew, you can forget what you have. 
And Paul is so desperate for Timothy to get this message. He's saying, Timothy, I know you're wrestling with the weight of what I've called you to do, but you're carrying faith. It's a genuine faith that was in your grandmother, your mother, and now it is in you. And he says, so let me remind you of what you have. And notice what he tells him. He says, stir it up. Come on, somebody. When was the last time you stirred up your faith? In spite of your fear. I'm talking about the kind of faith that gets down and says, God, you said it and I believe it and that settles it. I'm talking about the kind of faith that moves mountains. I'm talking about the kind of faith that is deeply personal where you ain't picking up the phone to call pastor nobody. I'm talking about the faith that knows God for yourself. When there's nobody to call and there's nobody to trust, he says, stir it up because it's lying dormant. You're living in fear, but you're carrying dormant faith. Y'all didn't hear what I'm saying. It's in you. It was passed down to you generationally. And he called it genuine faith. It is untainted. It's not contaminated. It is pure faith that you're carrying right now. It's time for you to stir it up. The reason you're stuck is because you've forgotten what you have. He said, not only have you inherited faith generationally, God has already given you, also given you three other weapons. And I know this is not a sexy sermon. Let me tell you why I know it's not a sexy sermon. Because this is a sermon that says you do something. The sermons we like is God does it all for me. I just sit back and it happens because God is my genie. My wish is his command. Wrong! If you're going to overcome fear, there's a part you play. And it begins with stirring up what he's already given you. It's in you. It is in you. For you to get through this place you're at, for you to navigate this, these circumstances, it is already in you. It's already in you. Stir it up. Stir it up. One translation says fan into flame because the word picture there is, about, is, is the picture of embers that are about to go out. Any campers in the house? I'm not a camper. But you can go camping and after you use the fire, right, over time, fire goes out, all you're left with is embers. And that's what he's telling Timothy. He said you got faith to lead well. It's in you, but it's just an ember. So fan it back into flame. I'm telling you about how you're going to get through what you're going through right now. I'm talking about pain management. The way you manage pain is to confront the thing you're afraid of. Because you can only conquer what you confront. And you can only confront what you identify. I'm talking about coming face to face with your giants. I'm talking about coming face to face with your giants. I'm talking about you being David. And coming face to face with a giant and recognizing I can't go against this giant wearing Saul's armor. I'm talking about the kind of faith that says nobody's going to do it for me. I will confront this. 
with the faith that has already been deposited in me. And he goes on to say, check this out. You didn't only inherit this legacy of faith. Here's Nia's favorite verse, verse 7. That God has not given you a spirit of fear. Hmm? You know what he's saying? Is that stuff that you're entertaining in your life? That stuff that you're uh, allowing to exist? It didn't come from God. The first thing you do in order to overcome and confront your faith is identify the source. And he says to Timothy, it didn't come from God. I'm telling you this morning that the thing that scares you right now did not come from God. There is one and only one option for fear, evicted. Let, let me tell you something. You and I will never, hmm? oh Lord, how do I say this, Lord, help me. Um, how do I say this? There's a certain way I want to say this. Um, most of us, uh, oh, here it is, here it is. Here's the reason this is important. It's because what you tolerate, you cannot change. What Paul is saying to his protege is you have entertained and you have tolerated timidity long enough and now you're starting to complain about what you've allowed. And that's what most of us do. The things that exist in our lives are the result of what we've either created of what we, or of what we allowed. And he's telling, he's telling Timothy, if you're going to get through what you're going through, you can no longer tolerate the fear that you've allowed to live in your life. First thing you do is fan into flame the faith that's already there. But then he says, God is not giving you a spirit of fear. But this is what he's also given us. Everybody in this room, if you're born again, giving you three things. Y'all ready for this? He's given you power. <laughs> Somebody say power. power. Mm -hmm. He's given you power. Number two, he's given you love. And number three, he's given you a sound mind. These are three weapons that God, who is all-knowing, saw fit to give us to deal with fear. Like, Lord, why power? Why love? Why a sound mind? If he already had faith, isn't that all he needed? And that's what most of us say, right? Faith is all I need. But Timothy already had faith that was passed down to him generationally. Yet Paul says, the Lord has also empowered you and has given you three more weapons of mass destruction. And those three weapons are power, love, and a sound mind. I'm going to talk to you about those three. I'll get out your way. Hmm? Number one, power. The word translated power is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. 
That means the power that you have inside you is dynamic and it is explosive and it is equal to every obstacle that you face. Number one, God gives us power to deal with life's obstacles. To deal with life's obstacles. Ah, How do I want to do this? Let me just overview and then I'll come back. Number two, he gives us love, which is the ability to deal with others. Power deals with the obstacle. Love gives us the ability to deal with others. Ah. Let me tell you some of the fears that we confront. Some of the fears we confront are the result of obstacles and challenges in our lives. When you show up and there's the wall of Jericho standing in front of you, what you need is power. Because that is an obstacle that life has presented to you. When you find yourself with your back at the Red Sea, that is an obstacle that God has given you power to remove. But there are some things that cause fear in our lives that are not necessarily because of obstacles or circumstances. Sometimes the problem is people. And you know what God says I give you for people? I give you love. Listen to me. Listen to me. Let me tell you something about people. There are really three kinds of people in life. I'm talking about on the way to your dream now. On the way to your dream. Uh, some of the people that you'll have to deal with. The, the, first, the first kind, the first kind, is people who will dismiss your dream. That's just Tony. <laughs> That's what they said about Joseph, his brothers. Here comes this dreamer again. And that's why you got to be careful now who you trust with your dream. Because most of us don't get past the first kind of person, people who dismiss our dream. Here comes this dreamer again. Uh, here's the second kind of, uh, the second kind, the people who despise the dream. And there's a third kind that you're going to need a whole lot of love with. And that's people who try to destroy the dream. And what they do, let me tell you about this kind of, let me, let me tell you about this third group. They think that by destroying you, they can destroy the dream because the dream will die with you. And there are people who never fulfill their God-given potential because they've never tapped into this weapon called love. Because love gives us the ability to deal with people. Power gives us the ability to deal with obstacles. When I talk about obstacles, they're right now in our church. I told our group about eight people, eight people who are grappling with some form of cancer. For a church this size, that's a staggering number. Some of them have already had surgery to have the cancer removed. Some of them are going through chemotherapy right now. When you're confronted with those kinds of fear-inducing circumstances, what you need is the power of God. And you carry that power. 
Listen to me. You carry that power to lay hands on yourself and anoint yourself with oil and stand on the promise of God and declare and speak the word of God over your situation, over your circumstances, because the power that you carry has become an ember, but you ought to fan it into flame. You carry it. And then there are people you're supposed to deal with and you deal with them with the love of God. Let me tell you why. That, that just sounds so elementary. But notice what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8 says. I'm talking about how to get through what you're going through. Right now, if there's difficult people, if there's difficult people in your life that are giving you a hard time, that are keeping you from fulfilling your God-given potential, they have dismissed your dream. They, are, they have despised your dream and they're trying to destroy you because in destroying you, they think the dream will die with you. Like Joseph's brother threw him in a pit and thought it was all over. God says, I've given you love to deal with those people. He said, why love? 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never I'm talking about an underutilized weapon that we all have. It is a weapon that the scripture says will never fail. Let me give you the third and final one. Why was the faith that Timothy inherited not enough? Because there's this third thing that the scripture says is necessary and that is a sound mind. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. Sound mind. Can I just talk to y'all? I don't even want to preach. I just want to talk. Sound mind. That word uh, translated sound mind or that phrase translated sound mind carries two meanings. Uh, in fact, uh, sophronismos means a safe mind or safe thinking, but it also carries the idea of sound judgment, of disciplined thought patterns, and the ability to understand and make right decisions. Uh, sound mind doesn't only refer to our thinking. More importantly, sound mind refers to self-discipline. The hardest person you will ever lead in your life is yourself. And what Paul was telling Timothy, if you're going to get through what you're going through, I'm not only giving you the, the ability to deal with obstacles, which is power. I'm not only giving you the ability to deal with others. That's love. I am giving you the ability to deal with yourself. I'm talking about self-sabotage. I'm talking about those moments and seasons in our life when we get in our own way. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the kind of fear that sets in. Listen to me now. I'm talking about the kind of fear that sets in when you no longer trust your own decisions and choices. I'm talking to somebody right now. I am talking to, so I know it as well and as clearly as I know my name. I'm talking about the kind of fear that sets in. Because when you look back over your life, bad decision, bad decision, bad decision, bad decision, bad decision, 
bad fruit, bad fruit, bad fruit, bad fruit, bad fruit. Now you're at a place in your life where you're even scared to make another decision. Because there was a point in your life when you didn't exercise the power of self-discipline. And he's saying, it's turning to embers. It's about to go, fan it back into flame. Because I have given you the ability, I have given you the ability, not only sound mind, the right to think the right thoughts. Remember, you've heard me say this before, wisdom is the ability to make finer distinctions, not just between good and evil, but between good and best. That's what, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You have this ability to make finer distinctions between what is good and what is best. But it doesn't only stop there. Because how many of you realize that having the right strategy is only a part of the equation? Now you've got to have the execution. And he says, this sophronismos is the ability not only to think the right thing, but to do the right thing. Self-discipline. Self-discipline. Most of us are afraid because we know where our lack of discipline put us. Afraid to pull the trigger. Afraid to pull the trigger because the last decision was so jacked up. But the Lord says, I've given you that ability. Sound mind and I've given you self-discipline. Can I tell you the thing about self-discipline? The challenge with self-discipline, and I got people who work out in this room, people who eat right. <laughs> Let me tell you one of the toughest things about self-discipline. It's not only about doing the right thing. Sometimes the biggest challenge with self-discipline is what you are required to eliminate. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of people who go to the gym and work out who see very little results because the challenge isn't going to the gym to work out. The challenge is nutrition, which is probably about 90% of fitness. And the problem is not what I do. The challenge is what I'm unwilling to eliminate. And so this morning, how do you and I get through what we're going through? We've got to fan the flame of what is already in us. Genuine faith, it's already there. But power. Man, I wish I had time to talk about the power of God that you and I carry. The ability to live supernaturally. To live supernaturally that is going underutilized. Every single day, man. Every single day I walk into Renner Center corporate offices just right around the corner. Every single day the Lord gives me opportunities to minister supernaturally. Supernaturally. I'm telling you, I wish, I wish, I wish I could tell you some of the stories. I wish I could tell you. One of them just happened on Friday. To know stuff, just to know stuff, just to know stuff. And, 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 and when people are resistant 
to the gospel and you start telling them about themselves. And you had no way of knowing except by the spirit of God every single day. Every single day. When Jesus met the woman at the well, eh? he, 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 he ministered stuff about this woman that he had no way of knowing. And it opened her heart to the gospel. You have that same power. You have the same power, according to the word of God, to lay hands upon the sick and expect them to recover. When Jesus said, he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Not the pastor, not the evangelist. Right in your own house, you can lay hands on your sick children and expect the healing power of God to flow through them. Because you have been given a spirit of power, dynamic, explosive power. You have been given the spirit of love. You can love well. You can love well. Heesh. I wish I had time to talk about that. I wish I had time to talk about that. I wish I had time to talk about that. And then finally, man, finally, this is where most of us, this is where most of us struggle with fear. The problem not trusting God. The problem is, do I trust myself? Do I trust myself? Do I trust myself? I'm talking about sound mind, self-control. Sound mind, self-control. The ability to make the, 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 the a sound judgment and then the ability to follow through. And most of us are afraid to pull the trigger because we've seen how many mistakes we've made along the way. If we're going to overcome fear and get from where we are to where God has called us to be, we have to tap into what he's already given us. So... Um, I'll just close with this. Uh, I'm wearing my Motown shirt. Y'all recognize this Motown dude? Ah, should I tell this story? So just, just recently, uh, Pastor Wendy and I went back to our high school reunion. It's in Detroit. Uh, Pastor Wendy is from just outside Detroit in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And one of the things I wanted to do because I am a musician and I love good music is I wanted to go to the Motown Museum. And... Uh, Man, just had a blast in the Motown Museum. It was absolutely incredible. I think there's some pictures. Yeah, Barry Gordy Jr. Boulevard, Hitsville, USA, a couple other things. Just stop right there. Uh, so Barry Gordy, interesting backstory. I'm just going to close with this because uh, I like human stories. Very interesting back. If I take that one off the screen, take that one off the screen. Barry Gordy's dad, Barry Gordy uh, Sr., was originally from the Georgia area. Uh, interestingly enough, his father was a white plantation owner who had relations with Barry Gordy's mom, who was a slave. Interestingly enough, Barry Gordy, this Barry Gordy's father, meaning Barry Gordy's grandfather, is also the grandfather of Jimmy Carter. United States president. 
And so uh, Barry Gordy Sr. left Atlanta and went up to Michigan to the Detroit area because of the opportunities there for people to work in the automotive industry. And so, so Barry Gordy um, uh, uh, has this son. Uh, he is the seventh, the seventh son of eight. Barry Gordy Sr. has this seventh son. His name is Barry Gordy Jr. Long story short, Barry Gordy had this reputation. Everybody said, this dude lazy. Because his dad wanted him to work in his business, the family business. But he always had this thing on the inside of him, man. I don't want to do this. And so he had a passion for writing songs. And so he wrote three songs. He wrote three songs for another record label. And those three songs got picked up by Jackie Wilson. And one of those songs was To Be Loved. Anybody remember coming to America? Someone to care. Someone who share. To be loved. That's a Barry Gordy song that Jackie Wilson recorded. Three songs. And they only paid Barry Gordy, how much was it? $3.18. The company went on to make millions. But Barry Gordy had a friend named Smokey Robinson who said, Barry, if that's what they're going to pay you, you might as well go into business for yourself. Sometimes you just need good friends in your life, man. So Barry Gordy, man, goes to his family, and they give him an $800 loan. Come on, somebody. $800. I know most of us, we had $800, we go buy. I, don't, I ain't going to say it. But he took those $800. And within 10 years, in fact, go, go ahead and put, go ahead and put uh, the, the, let me just read that slide, the, the, the green slide that talks about Motown. The Motown sound was created on this site from 1959, 1972. The company was started with an $800 loan. Let me qualify that, that the family charged them 6% interest. Uh, from Savings Club of the birth of Barry Gordy Sr. family, originally called Tamla Records, the company's first national release was Money. That's what I won in August 1959. The founder, uh, choosing a name that reflected the Motown, Motor City, coined the word Motown. So he, he wanted that Motor City flavor in there. He changed the name from Tamla Records to Motown for the company, was incorporated as the Motown Record Corporation on April 14, 1960. That same year, it produced its first gold record, Shop Around. You better shop around. In 1968, the company, which had grown from a family-oriented business, to an international enterprise, move the business operations to 2457. All that stuff is on the same street. Go to the next slide. Just see what happened in 10 years. By the end of its first decade, Motown was the largest independent manufacturer of single 45 RPM records in the world. In 10 years, with an $800 loan, it became the largest independent manufacturer of 45 RPM Records. Why, why, am I telling you, why am I telling you all of that? Hmm? I'm just telling you simply because of this simple reason. When you get these things in order, in fact, put, a, put, put one or two pictures. You have put a picture of me. Do I have a picture of me up there? No, I don't think I said it. Oh, snap. Okay, so yes. See that, that smile? So you can't take pictures anywhere in the museum except in Studio A. 
So this is in Studio A, Motown Studio A, that they also called the Snake Pit. And the reason they called it the Snake Pit is because they have all these uh, 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 cables hanging from the ceiling. And, and, and it's pretty impressive. That, that charts, those charts, My Girl, man, those are the original charts, the, the, the music charts for the song My Girl. You can see it's laminated. And then over there, man, that drum set right there, that drum set right there, uh, uh, the original Stevie Wonder tunes, man. That Stevie Wonder played on those drums. And here's the cool thing that I found out, uh, that when Marvin Gaye came to Motown, he came as a drummer, not a singer. And those are the drums that Martin Gaye, Marvin Gaye played. In fact, the crazy thing about the Motown studio is that when they moved to California, one of the things that they decided was that they would leave everything as it was. So when you go upstairs and you're doing the tour, and you're doing the tour upstairs, there's a, come on somebody, y'all can relate to this, there's an old Kool-Aid pitcher. Come on somebody. There's dishes, dishes in the, the dish drain sitting up there, and then you're going through, and there's this orange sofa, and they said, man, that's where Marvin Gaye loved to sleep at night when they had long studio sessions. And then you walk in the other, and there's all this memorabilia, man. Tell, I mean, you want to know my favorite one? My, my favorite one? Um, my favorite one? How many of y'all remember Motown 25, y'all? I thought more people remember Motown 25. Y'all remember Michael came out there with the fedora and the crystal glove? Check this out, man. I was in Liberia when I saw that, man. See my man Spencer up there? Motown 25, man. That was a big deal. And you're walking through there, you may see that crystal glove, and you see the four tops, the outfits, and the whole nine yards. Why am I saying all of that? Notice what, notice what uh, Steve Jobs said. Steve Jobs said. The last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to close. I'm talking about the people grappling with fear this morning. I believe God's calling each of us. You can take my picture off. <laughs> there you go. Notice what Steve Jobs says. He says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living somebody else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. How do we overcome the fear factor and become all that God created us to be? Joyce Meyer said it best, and this is where I close. What Joyce Meyer say? Oh, there it is. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.